Work Drinks Club, a business podcast where I chat with influential movers and shakers, top achievers, and all-round incredible people. We explore how they've got to where they are and how you can too. If you want to level up, go make your order at the bar, pull up a seat at the table, and join in because you belong here. I'm your host, Vanessa Sanyauke, the founder and CEO of Girls Talk London a global agency that empowers thousands of women to develop the skills and confidence to succeed in their careers and life. So if you're listening on your morning commute with a coffee, working from home with a cup of tea, or joining us for after-work drinks, consider this your time to laugh, learn, and level up. On the podcast today, we have Emma Cooper, the CEO of Empress Films, an acclaimed filmmaker and executive producer. I've had cancer, I've been divorced, I've had all of these things happen and I do think that they have all informed my experience and who I am. But they were very painful and yet has made me resilient. And I say to people, if I had my life again, I would still have those things happen to me. Definitely, definitely those things mean I take more risks, 100%. But it doesn't make me any less scared of those risks or the repercussions of them. Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of the After Work Drinks Club. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. I really hope you like the new look and feel of the podcast. And I'm happy to share that I'm a brand ambassador for Blue Water for this series. I'm really excited to have Emma Cooper on the podcast. We actually met when we were both speaking at an event two years ago and we just gelled. I absolutely love Emma. She is such a boss. She recently started her own company, but prior to this, she was the global president of non-scripted TV at Pulse Films. She's won lots of awards for her work at Sundance, Tribeca and Toronto Film Festival. Her work has also been shown on Netflix and other UK and US broadcasters. You may have seen her work recently on Netflix, but we'll get into that shortly. My favourite thing about Emma is her honesty and her bravery, and this really shines through in this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you are listening and make sure you leave a review. Welcome to After Work Drinks Club. Thank you for having me, darling. I can see you've got a drink. We always yes. ask our guests to let us know what they've ordered at the bar. What oh. is that you've got in this well, beautiful I've glass? Got, I've got a new, because obviously like I'm into like my cut glass type things. So I've got a new favourite drink. Obviously, I've got some bubbles going on, babe. Ah, I've got the amazing. old, I've got, I've got a bit of like Monday night Prosecco happening. I love it. Very fabulous. I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't come and see you and have this conversation without a, Without a decent drink. And I thought, but we've got to have sparkles today. So that's what I did. Thank you so much. And we ask all of our guests as well, before we kick off with our catch up and chat, to toast to their highlight of the year. I've been watching you. We're going to get into it, but you've had some incredible moments so far. But let's just toast to one highlight of the year. If you can have a think, what's the one thing we can toast to? It's been a bit, of a bit of a weird year. What month is it even? Where are we in the year? Is it July? <laughs> <laughs> I think the highlight of my year has been directing my first feature documentary. That's probably been the highlight of, of, of my year. All right, we'll toast to that. Cheers. Toast and then we'll to get that. Into it. And here's to you. Thank you. I mean, I have to say, I have to be um, honest and up front. So I had a bit of a mad weekend where I drank a bit too much. So <laughs> I cannot actually, like, if I even have a glass, oh, I won't function tomorrow. So, so I've just got, like, my hot chocolate. So. It looks really nice. The hot chocolate <laughs> is nice. That's fine. I will drink on your behalf, babes. But I'm glad you had a really good weekend. <laughs> Thank you. I had a three-day weekend, so that was um, a lot Hi. of fun. So, um, yeah, I'm going to just have my hot chocolate um, for okay. this one. Yeah, you do that. But I mean, I I think I don't even know really where to start. I mean, your career is just incredible. So you've you've just done so much. You're like this TV legend. 
you're a mom, you're now an entrepreneur. And so I just want to really get into sort of all of your different facets. And maybe if we start from at the very beginning of your career. So, you know, you're very well known for your amazing documentaries, award-winning, you've worked with so many broadcasters in the UK and the US, um, in particular Netflix, you've worked at the BBC um, and Channel 4. So some really big names, um, skin in the game. But let's take it back to when you began like working. What was your first break into this TV world? Well, I, I left university and I just didn't know what to do. And I was really, really lucky that my mum and dad lived near Manchester. So I went home and I was working in the off-licence at the end of my mum and dad's road. And I, honestly, I just didn't. And I thought I was going to be a tax consultant. Really? <laughs> yeah, being a tax consultant is no. fine, but it doesn't quite <laughs> suit my personality. Yes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be a tax consultant. And then I just happened to meet somebody, like an old friend, and he was a runner at Granada Studios. And I thought, oh, this sounds like a right laugh. Um, And I managed to get some work experience at the BBC, which was in the Department of Religious Broadcasting. And and so I started, because in Manchester, uh, the only two departments at the BBC then was religious programmes and I think entertainment. And I wasn't right for entertainment because I just didn't know what was going on. And I'd got an English degree, so I could sort of talk my way into work experience in uh, in religious broadcasting. And so I went into that department and I worked for six weeks on a live Sunday morning show called Lent in the Park. And I like drove the van I ironed kind of like the, you know, the clothes of the people who were presenting and just got tea and stuff like that. And I just realised from the minute that I was there uh, that I just loved it. And that I, that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah, that's, that's how I started. actually, to like know from just early on, entry, like get, entry level, this is what I want to do for the, you know, the rest of my I guess my yeah. my career. What was it about TV then? What do you? I just like about it? and you know what? Like I'd got an English degree. I'd got A levels. I'd got all of that. And you know, when you're 21, 22, and you are driving the van. I mean, it's fine to drive the van. Of course, you need to drive the van, but you are a bit like shit. I just thought this is like I don't care what I'm doing. I just want to be in this room. I don't care. Like, my dad always found it really funny because I phoned him up and I was like, Dad, Dad, you've got to put the TV on. And there was, a like, a reporter, like, talking about something and he was like, what, what, what? And I was like, Dad, I've ironed his shirt. <laughs> dad oh, was like, amazing. I'm not going to say anything, <laughs> but you've just done loads of education and you are so <laughs> thrilled that you ironed this guy's shirt. Oh, and the pride. I sort, of, I sort of didn't need my English degree for that bit. But anyway, and I so I just knew that I didn't care what I was doing as long as I was in that room. And I just found everything fascinating and I wanted to know more. Like I wanted to know what everybody did. I just wanted to know everything. So, uh, so yeah, I just kind of carried, I, I carried on. But it was like, this is a long time ago. This is over 20 years ago. And, you know, I had to go through a room that I didn't want to go through. It took me like about three years to become a researcher. And I was a secretary and I was a coordinator. You know, I used to like make the hymn books for Songs of Praise stuff like that and at the time I didn't really want to do that very kind of like female thing like Mm. it's really interesting that I came into the job and it was like well you will be a secretary it's like nobody's fault in that that's just the way it was back then but now I'm really really pleased that I did all of those jobs and I didn't go straight in as a researcher or an assistant producer because I've, I've done everybody's job on my team so I know, like I know every job. That, yeah, <laughs> so I think that, I'm quite that's really good. Yeah. You've got that kind of, I guess that you've, you've grafted from the ground yeah. up. And so yeah. there's no role that anyone can tell you, well, I don't want to do that because you've done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's actually really helpful. Uh, and, and at the time, you know, there was a point when I was 30 and I nearly gave up the whole thing because I thought I wasn't going anywhere. <clears throat> and I'm but because it was taking me so long, but um, I'm really, really glad now. Really value the fact that I did all those jobs. So what happened? So from when you were thirty, then how long had you been in the industry? Like nine years, okay. and I was still 
an assistant producer and that's fine. I think the assistant producer is a really good job. It's great. But I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't getting anywhere. And, you know, like back in those days, like as a woman, you did not go into TV and say that you were going to be a director. Like you just, you just did it because people would think, like maybe people remember this experience differently from me, but that's very, and maybe I was bringing my own baggage to it, but that's very much how I felt. I felt like if I'd said to an executive producer, oh, you know, I want to be a director, there just weren't that many female directors around. Um, and I wanted to sort of move up and move on and I didn't really know how to. So I I was considering leaving the industry. I like, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do, but then it just all sort of took off really. So, so what happened after that? So when you say it took off, you had that moment where you were thinking, I went out and then what happened? Um. I mean, I do think in everybody's career, you like you meet people who hold you back and you meet people who just believe in you. Mm-hmm. And, and the people who believe in you just make such a difference. And I had been working with, you know, Louis Theroux was my idol when I was, when I was you know, uh, in sixth form and I used to watch all his shows and I didn't really ever think that I'd work with him. And I ended up, just getting myself into the position of being in the right place at the right time and working on his series as an assistant producer. And just, I worked with him for a couple of years and honestly, he just completely believed in me. Mm-hmm. And when somebody above me left, he just went into the BBC and he just said, I think Emma, Emma Cooper can be the series producer. I'm like, I'll never forget it. And I was wow. like, um, okay. Really and, I, wow. and, and he and he also said that I should direct a couple of films and he just completely, he just completely backed me. He just, you know, and Louis is a really like progressive human being. You know, he doesn't, you know, he's certainly not a man who, you know, thinks you're a woman and he's just completely all about equality and we worked really well together and he just believed in me hugely. And and so he he really, he changed my life, basically. He changed my career. And then I went on to be his director and series producer for about three or four years until I went to Channel 4. And we had, I mean, you know, like working on those films those documentaries was was like at times it was hard like I saw stuff that I think has changed me in certain ways but um it was an amazing experience and an amazing privilege so you know you just meet these people and you know they're rare they're sort of precious gems and if they believe in you then you're just off on the next turn of the wheel and I'll never sort of forget it really and so I look for people, you know, to do that too. If somebody, you know, it's like, it's karma, isn't it? It's yeah, like, exactly. He believed in me, so I must, you know, try and find other, well, you don't have to try that, you know, not that hard to find people to support, but it's really important. It's like passing that down. And I love that in terms of just not forgetting that someone opened the door and actually fought for you, went into the you know BBC and said, look, you know, give this girl a chance um, and just go for, you know, to bat for you. Um, I think it's really great that you do the same for others. I think that's really how yeah. um, we create more like diversity as well in, in the, the industry, yeah. not just in the TV industry, but I think in general, it's really applicable. So that's a really good, yeah. good learning yeah, point totally. there. I mean, I, I'm just, I, as I said before, like I'm just in awe. I don't know how you've done so much <laughs> in your career. You've you obviously like done it. You, it's like, nice of you to say. You have. And I just, there's so many stories that I just kind of want to get into. But I mean, you've mentioned, you know, working with Louis Theroux. You've mentioned being at Channel 4. And then you were also at Pulse Films. And that's a slightly different environment. Like, So how, what was the difference in terms of working, I guess, on the agency side or production side yeah I mean I I'm sort of about my career I sort of have a a duality which don't really go together Mm -hmm. so I my friend is really nice to me and says that I take smart risks I'm not so sure about that (laughs) but I definitely take risks and I don't think things through too much and then often I look back at the other side and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think about that. Um, but at the same time, I'm always really aware of what I need to do next to get to the North Star. And my North Star, like, changes, you know. 
um, but I'm very aware of what I have not experienced yet. And then I'm like, well, I should probably experience that for four years. And then I'll know that. And then I can maybe do the next thing for four years. So, so really for me, you know, the BBC just taught me my craft. It's an amazing place to learn. And then I really, really wanted to learn about what commercial broadcasting was like but it was quite a safe step because the channel four is still a public broadcaster and I wanted to know what it was like to be a buyer so I I was a buyer for four years and I sat there and people pitched to me and you know I kind of say to people it's like doing a master's in tv because I went from making like three films a year like actually know what we're talking about probably doing like one to two films a year to literally sometimes having between like 40 and 60 projects on my slate. And you just, it was fast, you know, and you had to be the person at the back of that edit suite who had the right answers, who who asked the right questions. Um, And so that was kind of amazing. And then I realised that I had never worked in a commercial environment. Like, (laughs) I mean, honestly, I spent like quite a lot of time when I first got to Pulse. Um, like literally googling like ter- like business terms. You be like in a meeting and it'd be like, "What's your e-dip dar?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and like at the other side of the table, like pretending, like, "Oh yes, I'll tell you exactly." You know, and just like margins and you know, and 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 I'm so like Pulse Films was an amazing place to work. Like really inspirational people. And they were kind of like a really, they still are like a very young, forward facing company. And I knew that if I went there for however long, you know, I had no real plan of how long I was going to be there for, but I knew that it would be a masterclass in business and in the commercial world on a global scale. And it was. And I didn't go in there having any grand plans of, you know, starting my own company. But I kind of knew that I needed to know how this worked, you know, how how the commercial world works. So, so yeah, like each each big place change I've made has always really added to my knowledge and my skill set. Basically, I've just had a light bulb moment because <laughs> the way that you've approached your career is very strategic, and I feel that I think for me it's really sort of key to think about things like as a master's or an experience and to think about what you can learn because sometimes I I find sometimes with me I'll kind of go maybe from similar organizations or similar projects but I quite like that to kind of think about okay what is it I want to learn what environments have I been in before and what is this new environment going to teach me so like when you think about your next step you know making sure you kind of are very clear about what are you going to learn and it's quite interesting. I'm going to think, okay, what is going to be like my practical <laughs> master's next? I really like that. I, I mean, it's, it's probably more cogent and thought through in hindsight. At the time, <laughs> at the time, I just, I just jump. I just do. Yeah. Um, and then I look around and say, oh, I got away with that. Uh, maybe yeah. I wouldn't have done. But but in hindsight, I sort of retro, uh, retrofit sense to it, yeah. I suppose. But it has been all those things so far. Yeah. And one of the things as well, so one of your um, clients still to this day and before have been Netflix. And for anyone that works in the creative industry, Netflix is like the hardest company to even get an email address, right? To even get in contact with. How do you get, and just for our listeners, like if they dream of working with Netflix, they want to pitch the project to them or get their foot in the door. How do you do that? It's such a difficult place to kind of break into. How did you go about that? What would be your tips? So, I mean, there's sort of like several ways. I mean, I would say as an organisation, they have got, you know, they are interfacing like way more with the communities that they make TV and films for. So, you know, the, a, a first thing that you can do is 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 look at their outreach programmes. Like they've just done a short film um, kind of placement, I think, that I was, that I was looking at some, for one of my friends and, you know, they are out and about in the community. There is stuff on their website in, in each localization place where you can definitely get your foot in the door and get known to them. And they're really good about like, find, like they, you know, everybody's the same. It's like, 
we all need new voices and we need new 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 places to, to you know where we hear people tell stories it can't always be the same so they're really good at um at like finding you know new companies and new places and new directors and stuff like that so your advice is really to kind of just sort of get through i guess is it the middle person is that the right way to speak but just get through like a kind of a middle or a bridge to find that well, bridge yeah i mean it depends what kind of like if you if you've got like no if you're not in TV and but you've got a great idea, then you absolutely do need a production company yeah. to take that idea forward for you. And that goes for all of the broadcasters, really. Channel 4, BBC, HBO, you know, Netflix. Um, but... Uh, but but otherwise, you know, you know, they go to film festivals, you know, they are... You can, they're they're approachable. They do screenings. You know, if you're a filmmaker, you can you you can approach them on 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 your own. I know that that is not always the easiest thing to do, but you know, you'd be surprised. I often say this to people, like you'd be surprised how often, like like even I do it. You know, like I say, even I do it. But you look at somebody and you're like, oh, if I email them, I might feel a bit silly, or they'll just ignore me, or whatever. But you tend to find that a lot of people they don't get loads of emails off people saying, I really want to meet you for a coffee. Can I, can I have 10 minutes? Can I do a Zoom for five minutes? You know, I think, you know, a, a, a little bit of that goes a long way as well, I think. To try your luck and to yeah. see, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You've got okay. to. So great tips. And this is the most exciting part for me, right? So you took a leap of faith just before, I think it was just before the pandemic. So. Was it just before the pandemic when, yes, I think oh the last time I emailed you, you just started um, Empress Films. Yes, we'll catch up. And then <laughs> little did we know 2020 was going to be the global pandemic. So you've kind of gone into sort of full-time entrepreneur CEO life during yeah. a global pandemic. So how has that been, that transition? How has that been? Well, I love it, but it's been hard. You know, I work all the time and I haven't had much of a life. But in a funny way, I, I used to travel a lot before the pandemic. You know, I'd go to LA like every six weeks or every eight weeks. I'd go to New York. You know, I was always out there, which which really rewarded me during the pandemic because, you know, I could switch that to people that I knew in LA and New York onto Zoom. Um, so so really, the, the, the me kind of being trapped in this room, which I pretty much was, and it's the only place that my Wi-Fi works in my house. <laughs> Uh, I don't move around much, um, um, was actually, I mean, you know, you could literally use every minute of the day and I kind of didn't need to do that because certainly for the first year I've had no, I've, I've had no infrastructure. I, I do, I, you know, I was doing payroll on a Friday night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I don't know how to do payroll and I didn't have an accountant and, you know, I didn't know like freelance and law. I've literally done everything while directing a film, while executing films, while producing films, uh, while developing my own slate, while coming up with new ideas and while still trying to keep the hustle going of, you know, keeping in touch with people, being around people, making sure that people have got access to you because you never know where an idea is going to come from. And um, so it has been really hard. But the fact that I just wasn't moving around kind of meant that I could just do loads of hours <laughs> yeah and put and put the time in and sort of graft and build build yeah. your business I mean what yeah. do you wish you'd had had known because you mentioned because I've had that when I was like my business like you're you're right you're doing everything I didn't know about you know what a kind of accountant I needed and what you know things like as you mentioned payroll and even things like I didn't even have like insurance at one point and understanding all of that like the basics yeah um, it's pretty tough so what you know, what do you wish that you had known beforehand? Or, Well, I don't know if you're going to like this answer because I'm really glad I didn't know because I wouldn't have done it. Honestly, okay. that's what I mean I about at some point. <laughs> well, you would have said absolutely gonna, not. Yeah, you yeah. Just, if you said to me, yeah, and you're going to spend Friday with this, this bloody thing. Oh, gosh, the pink century. Oh, my God, the pin and chip reader. You're going to spend your Friday night, and I'm really bad with numbers. So that me, like, checking three knots, I'd be like, oh, my God, if I put it in wrong, and then the account wouldn't match. 
you know, if I'd known that I would graft all week making films and directing and doing the fun stuff, and then on a Friday night I would be wrestling with the chip and pin machine, I would, I, you know, I definitely would have rethought it. Like those were the times that I cried actually, yeah. and I did cry, and I called my mum, and I'd be like, I can't, I, I can't do this. I'm so tired. And then that thing of, you know, if you miss this payment, then you that person is going to think that you're like your company's shit yeah. and that you don't care. And like, because the company's like your whole world, you can't, you don't want anybody to think that you're not, that you've dropped, you know, that you can't pay them quickly or, oh my God, it just sort of <laughs> explodes yeah. emotionally. And maybe that there is something in that of running a female-led company and uh, that isn't possibly different. I don't know, probably not, but I'm just sort of saying, like, I, you know, wow, you know, you really worry about what people are feeling about working with you. Yeah. Um, but I'm really, so, so I think, like, I should have known that stuff when I didn't, but I'm sort of glad I didn't know. Yeah, I can I can relate to that because I'm, I'm quite similar. I think if someone would have told me um, what it really entails, I, yeah, I would have maybe said, you know what, let me just climb that corporate ladder and get my paycheck because it's so true. Like for me, I'm not necessarily, I've gotten better now, but I'm not great with um, the numbers. And what I found as well was when I was first starting out, like I would always be last, like I'd, you know, when I was sort of still trying to work out my pricing and stuff, like I'd have to pay everybody else, the freelancers, everybody else. I mean, I would get whatever was left. I didn't know like how to sort of budget and do all of the kind of the financial side of the business. Um, but I've also learned, and I don't know if you can relate, but I've had to kind of like separate myself a bit more. Like my business is my business and I am me because I kind of got really just so intertwined and like similar, to, I can kind of relate to what you were saying about kind of you do really care like what you know your clients think of you, what you know your community thinks of you because you want to do great work. But I've had to learn to kind of have those boundaries in terms of you know it's okay for something to get left the next day. Um, you know it's okay to kind of just have some some me time. So I just wonder what are you doing to create those like boundaries and you know are you now going to have some time for you so I think in every part of my life the word boundary is one that I look at and I think oh I don't think I quite understand that word <laughs> um so and I and I really want to understand that word a bit better than I do um I think at the moment with the business I don't have boundaries I, I've slightly got more than I did mm-hmm. so like I know I need hobbies because like you know I'll like you know, finish this and go watch something. It's just like, but it's just work. I can't really watch Netflix and go, I'm really switched off. <laughs> so, you know, I'm doing all that stuff of I'm like, you know, I've joined a gym and I go swimming and I do a bit of this and a bit of that. Just started reformer Pilates, which is incredibly painful. So I, you know, I try and do that. Um, but I'm not really boundaried at all. And I sort of feel like I've got to accept the fact that I can't be for at least another year, really. Because you're, you're growing. Yeah, you're growing I'm business, growing. Yeah. And like, it's just always really critical. And also when I do have, you know, I've also, I've got an 11 year old son. Um, so when I do have free time, you know, I need to spend time with him because quite often, you know, I, you know, work a lot across LA. So, you know, my really busy time is like from 5 p.m which oh, is I the see. time that it's not it's not it's not great for you know for for spending time with him so so it's busy it's busy there isn't that much time for myself but you know like you go and get your nails done you go and you know mm-hmm. it's that you know you it, you keep on top of it all and you just think oh, I wish I had a bit more time yeah and I, and I, I suppose um, what I've also come to understand, I think, is like you just mentioned, like, you know, like self-care and well-being, it's the small things. So like getting your nails done, yes. going to the gym, spending yeah. time with your family, like those are, you know, important things. So I'm yeah. glad that at least you, you still make time. For yeah. And, and actually one of the real decadent things which which the pandemic has allowed. And then I spoke to 
I remember a, a, a therapist actually told me that this is, you know, a really good thing. Like I sometimes will have a bath at lunchtime. Oh my gosh, <laughs> at lunchtime? Yeah, as long as it doesn't like make That's you go sleepy yeah. and you get all your stuff and I'll be like, I'll maybe listen to a podcast or listen to, you know, some kind of debate on the radio or just some tunes that I want to listen to. I won't have a very long bath, I'll have like a 20-minute bath and, pop and I think, oh my God, this is it's great about like working at home or whatever that I can do this. And I feel like, better and I feel like I've had a bit of self-care if I'm really stressed and then this therapist said to me that actually they do kind of prescribe that to people because when you have a bath you're being held and that's why it kind of makes you feel better because you're like you're just held for just a little bit and then you get out of the bath and you're like okay I let's just crack on with the rest of the day but I'm saying that and I don't do a regular nine to five like you know my hours are like 7 a.m. until you know lunchtime then I'll have a couple of hours off and then and then you know my nights you really start at five and can go up till about 11 o'clock at night so it's like my schedule is weird but yeah. like if you can have a, a bath at a weird time I would I would highly recommend it I love that like just between your your next your two zoom calls just to pop in the bath but that's a good trick I'm gonna try that I'm gonna try that because I love you have to like pull her hair net on because you're like oh my god it's gonna go freezing exactly put your get your hair make sure your hair doesn't get wet just get in the bath 20 minutes yeah but I'm gonna try that because that's um you can't look at your phone you can't look at your phone so like no phone especially if if you're having a really bad day um to just break it up oh I love that you touched on being a working mum. Yes. And, you know, some of our listeners might be maybe thinking about having kids or maybe they do have kids and they're worried how it will affect their career. So just talk to me about like how you've kind of managed to do this successfully and if there's anything that you, you'd want our listeners to know about this experience and sort of juggling everything. So I only have one child, mm-hmm. which I think probably makes a difference but maybe not I don't know I can only talk about my kind of lived experience and and what I would say that in the 2020s I do find it quite it gives me it makes me kind of sad um but it's completely understandable um is if I do talks or like like younger women like always come up to me and they always like tell me about their anxiety of if they have a child does their career have to stop and I think, oh, my God, it's not like 1985. Yeah. And then I think, well, you know, you can't try. Again, it's very much like my philosophy of life. It is hard, but you can't, you just got to take that leap. If you want to do it, it's hard. Um, you know, I have never actually felt a huge amount of guilt when my kid was growing up and when, you know, he had other people looking after him and I would come through the door at 6.30 and I'd spend a couple of hours with him and then I'd know I'd have to work again. Um, I've actually never had a lot of guilt about that mm-hmm. because, A, you know, he's a, he's. I think it's really good for him to see a parent, like, really working to provide. I yeah. don't think that that's a bad thing to do and he knows that... I don't have anybody to look after me. You know, this is it. Like, if I could go out to work, you know, the PS4's gone, mate. Yes. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there's a bit of realism there going on. Um, And and I think that, you know, you try and be a good role model, but at the same time, at the same time, like, maybe I always knew that I wasn't going to be a stay-at-home mum, that that wasn't going to be enough for me. Um, and you do have moments of guilt and you do have moments of like, oh God, but it shouldn't stop you. But what I would say is that, yes, you do need support. And I was lucky enough that I was working in jobs where I could afford to pay for help. But because my mum lives in Manchester, you know, my sister lives too far away. Like I didn't have like family to help me. So yeah, I had, I paid and I could pay. But I think that if you can look around in your life and think who is there to support you, then it can happen. And I also think that now, you know, I sort of like with every job I did, I, I again, I just don't know where I got this confidence from because I don't, I am, I naturally don't have, you know, that much natural confidence. But like with my jobs, I never asked permission to go on certain days at five o'clock to leave for childcare. I didn't. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I, and I would sort of tell them, I, because they knew I'm a crafter. You know, like, do you think I'm going to disappear at five and not check my emails at eight? Like, that is, you know, that's part of the deal. I sort of think it might be different now. I don't know. Um, so I never kind of asked um, to do that. I just did it. And then I kind of showed them by the fact that my work didn't slip and no- nobody ever kind of demanded to know you know what I was doing but maybe in media it's different than if I was working somewhere with a slightly different institution I mean what's been like your hardest time then as a parent what's been like the most challenging I got divorced when he was four and so I became a single parent and that was and I just joined channel four and that was really hard you know and I've been ill before and I do think that probably my divorce was the hardest the hardest few years that I had because, you know, I had to be really switched on at work. It was a new job. Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to lose my house. I did, you know, you're a working mum and then you might, you know, like, are you going to see your kid enough? It, it, th- that was hard. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it all worked itself out. You know, you've just got to get through those times and get through those times with friends and family and support. So it was probably when he was younger. But, but interestingly, he's 11 now and, you know, I don't have any childcare anymore or anything like that. And it, it's, it's slightly harder emotionally now. And I don't know why, you know, because... I Is it know. emotional for, for you or for him? Well, I think also because he's like, he wants to hang out with me less. Oh, <laughs> is, is it- <laughs> I'm like, what's going on, it's mate? like you're not interested in me anymore. What? Yeah. Uh, that's quite hard. Um, yeah. So, And you're sort of aware that you've only got a few years left and are you really going to, are you, are you really going to spend that on a Zoom in your room while he's downstairs? I don't know. You occasionally get stuff like that. But, you know. We went off for the day. Like you just plan like treats. Yeah. So like the time. I mean, it's kind of unrealistic, really. Like when we do spend time together, it's always like you know doing something exciting or fun, or you know you you know you have quite an interesting life together because you make up for it a bit. But I think it's just just hearing that. It's I guess it's just developing that resilience. So like I, my generation, we get because I'm Gen Y and we get criticize a lot especially like my parents will say oh god you you gen y's don't have resilience like you need to develop resilience and it just feels like those tough times maybe have sort of helped you get stronger and sort of the more that you go through the more you know sort of you can sort of handle is that the only way in terms of developing resilience like doing it practically just going through it you know I you know what I go back and forth on this because I think I have got through those times with resilience but have I got through them without damage no I haven't yeah. will I ever really confront some of the damage possibly not yeah um I don't know I don't know it, I guess it's what it's what being a human being is and I think as I get older I sit and look at being a human being like looking at a snow globe and I think wow that is it's complex it's not always easy I you know I don't regret you know, I I say this to people. I hope that I really mean it. You because know, I've I've had cancer. I've been divorced. I've had all of these things happen, and I do think that they have all informed my experience and who I am. But they were very painful, you know. And it's you, you know, and yet it has made me resilient. And I say to people, if I had my life again, I would still have those things happen to me because. I think that they made me more interesting in a weird way or they made me more able to take risks. Definitely, definitely those things mean that I take more risks, 100%. But it doesn't make me any less scared of those risks or the repercussions of them. So I think it's a really, I think it's a really tricky one. But you know what? You can't control it, Vanessa. It's like, like, if stuff's going to happen to you, I think you just have to realise that you are just floating down a river and there's yeah. nothing. You know, you can be as scared as you want of these things. You don't know what's going to happen to you. And I think that what I realised was that those things were survivable. And if you'd said to me, if you tapped me on the shoulder when I was 18 and told me that those things were going to happen, I would have thought, oh, God, they're not survivable. But they are. Yeah. So, so, So I think that, You've got to try, maybe your generation is going to try not to worry about the natural things that happen in life. Maybe, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think I think I like that analogy of sort of going down, like just being like in a, I can imagine being like in a Moses basket or something and just flow, going down that river. You just got to go, yeah, go along with it and you will, you know, you will make it at the end. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I realised. I mean, I've had like some difficult times and then you just think you just got to just, you will kind of just some sort of miraculous way you just get through it at the end. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's what life is all, all about. It's all of those experiences. Isn't it? So I guess, Emma, just a bit more about, you know, we touched on about your experience in terms of going through cancer. Whenever yeah. you're comfortable just sharing, like, what was that, like, you know, that time in your life like? What was that like? Well, you know, it kind of is, is, is it's along those lines of, and I know this sounds really strange, and I, I know that I can say this because I survived it and it was 10 years ago. But if I had a time machine and if I went back in time, would I skip? having had the experience of having cancer no I actually wouldn't but that's with me knowing that I survived it yeah Uh, and basically I was trying for a baby with my husband at the time and I I had a picture taken and my sister said you have got a lump in your neck and I was like what are you on about and so I just went to the doctors uh and they were like you know what we're just going to do a biopsy and I was like what planets are they on and then I uh, came back uh, and the results were that I had cancer. I had thyroid cancer. Um, they wanted to operate straight away because it's quite a big lump. Um, so I was quite bewildered. And then I just didn't know where my period was. I mean, the timing. And I was like, wow. oh, my God. You know, when you're like, oh, my God, if my period would just come out, I would be able to deal with this so much better. I've got oh, cancer God. and PMT. Oh, um, God. And so I just thought, and I'd not been that successful. I'd been eight months and not got pregnant. And oh my God, the timing of life, the timing of life. And I did a pregnancy test and I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. So then I had to go to my doctor and I was like, I'm pregnant. Like, what am I, like, do you, do I have to get rid of this baby so that I can have my cancer removed? And I had this most amazing care. People like, I'm friends with my surgeon and they're all still mates with me and they're brilliant. And so they said, no, it's we, we can just about keep the cancer in you for 12 to 16 weeks to give your baby enough time to survive an operation. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I ate so much. I mean, Vanessa, oh, I like literally, because I couldn't drink, I couldn't do anything. It was so stressful. I basically found chocolate and and then when I was 16 weeks pregnant I had the in fact you can't really see it anymore it's here I had um, an operation on my neck uh, and they removed the whole of my thyroid and I mean it was difficult because you know there was no data at the time to say whether I was going to lose Harry or not you know through the trauma of having an operation while you're pregnant because funnily enough they don't operate on that many women when they're pregnant but it was fine, and he was fine. Uh, there was a few complications, but it was okay. And then I had to wait until after I'd had him to have um, the rest of my treatment, which luckily was radiotherapy, not chemotherapy. I was really lucky. Um, and when he was, like, pretty quickly after I had him, I had to go away and not see him for two weeks, which was really hard because I was so radioactive to just mop up any cancer cells that I couldn't be near any children. And so I used to stand on the raid outside my house and my mum oh, would just God. hold him up at the window and I would, like, stand oh. there looking at my baby and then go off again. So, you know, funnily enough, dealing with, um, like, you know, you know, pay, pay providers and insurance is not as bad as all of that. I can imagine. But, you know, it was... Yeah. Nobody wants these things to happen to you, uh, and 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 there's definitely a sense of clarity that you get from coming out of it the other side. Um, but it's just part of who I am, you know. And I don't, you know, I I also work as a I do a help um, a helpline for women who have thyroid cancer, mm-hmm. uh, and so they'll you know phone me, and I'm like patient support. Um, and I always say to them, I always say to them, you think that for the rest of your life, every day you'll think about cancer and you don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. One day it just goes away That's and you think that when you have it, that you'll always be thinking about it and you don't. I mean, you're always going to be a bit scared that it's going to come back, but you know, that is a, it's all part a, yeah. of being a human being. I feel like it's just a miracle. Like, you know, you're, 
your son and just everything. I think it's just amazing. Yeah, it's Aww. just amazing to sort of hear Aww. that you've come through all of that. And uh, oh, thank yeah. you. I watched a lot of TV, ate a lot of biscuits during that imagine, time. But at least they, they soothed you and, and got <laughs> yeah, you through that time. <laughs> they did, they did. Like, there's nothing that biscuits and tanny can't actually solve. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I just think it's definitely something I think when you talk about sort of resilience, that's really it defined. It's yeah. just like, yeah, all of that to happen. Yeah. It's quite tough. Yeah. Going back to the career bit a bit about like, what do you think about, I guess, the state of your industry today? We spoke just before we started around, you know, the whole kind of, there's a big push around diversity and inclusion and there's a lot of change in so many different sectors. But what do you think about your, you know, the TV industry um, and TV, um, I guess, TV and film industry today? I think that there is probably more opportunity and pledges uh, and schemes and a lot of conversation and debate um, about diversity, inclusion. Um, however, I feel very strongly that it's down to the individuals like me. Like, you know, when you're running a company like this, you've got to try really hard to, like, all the time, like, check, like, all those faces on those Zoom, like what do they what do they reflect about the world? Is this are you doing this right? And I think that there's a lot of personal responsibility and that maybe not everybody is there yet, is what I would say. Um and and, and actually if you want a diverse and really interesting um team, which is incredibly important for you to get like business away and stories told on a global platform. Um, then, then is you, you've got to really like, nobody's going to hand it to me. You know, I'm not like there, you know, I'm, you, you've got to go out and do it yourself. And I think that sometimes people are like, oh, well, we couldn't, or we don't, uh, it's you all like, find the talent. or yeah. they don't exist. Yeah. Well, you kind of got to like, you know, for example, at the moment, I've really noticed that then I'm, I don't know that many black editors and I'm like, I don't know very many black or Asian uh, editors like like we really need this and so I'm trying to figure out like where that person would be and if you know like it's 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 another layer to the to the business like that person isn't just going to turn up and send me their cv like they should they should but they they quite possibly won't at the moment yeah um so I really really think that it's down to the people who've got like you know the the elders in TV, which I suppose I don't like thinking about myself as one of those, but I'm a bit shit. Oh, veterans, veterans. Is that a nice word? Veterans, or veterans. Yeah. Or legends. Then you, le- legends. Legends. <laughs> legends. Um, then we have to do, you know, like really seek those people out. And a lot of people are doing that, but, you know, you've got to do it yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's true. I think it's sort of really making that conscious effort to really sort of, like I said, go and find that find um, diverse talent. Okay, we're gonna do like this. this we have this um, oh. quick fire round, right? So oh, try God. and get because you know what, you actually have like the best stories. Like well, <laughs> this is what I love about you. You always have these like really funny random stories. So I'm hoping um, if we have a quick fire round, it's like okay. just answering just a few like quick quick um, questions. So. The first question in the quick fire round is, can you tell me about a trip that could be a work trip that changed your life or that was most memorable, like the most yes. memorable, epic yes. work trip? Yes. Yeah. It was when I did a film as a director and I was self, I was a self-shooting director with Louis and we were making it about a police force in America and I had slightly over-exaggerated how well I could operate a camera. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it still gives me shivers now. I've never actually told Louis this. Yeah. I hope you don't. Please, nobody sent it this if you okay. keep this in. Um, so it was life-changing on that we were running around in a really impoverished area of inner-city America with cops who were, you know, this was a long time ago. This was about 12 years ago. But you can imagine there was real tension between the community and the police 
I saw a lot of violence and I was like right in that violence, you know, saw saw people shot, you know, saw dead bodies, all, all sorts of experience of life that I wouldn't normally have seen. And it really kind of, you know, changed me to be in there. And then, but this other thing happened. So I was slightly over-exaggerating how well I could shoot. And back in those days, I mean, I'm so old, I was filming on tape, babes. It yes. wasn't even digital. I, I used to go back to my hotel room and rewind Samson. them. No, I was like rewinding a fucking tape. Then it'd be like, don't rewind it, it might break. Because if the oh tape broke, gosh. like all the footage had gone. So yeah. we had been waiting for a foot pursuit. Oh my God, for so long. We would just sit up like all night in the van and it was really cold. It was like minus degrees. It was so cold. Gosh. Like literally like it's too cold. And we finally got this uh, police chase and it was really important for us to get it. And we ran along and I filmed it. I was like really pleased with my camera work. I was like, I'm smashing this. I've managed to keep up with Louis. He's got really long legs. I'm not that, <laughs> you know, I'm not that tall. I kept up. It's all great. Went back to the hotel and we thought, oh, we'll just have a look at it. And it literally, as we ran away, as we started the foot pursuit, the film cut out. And there was oh no God. footage, right? And so I think I did a bit of a, I think it's a faulty camera, when actually I had pressed stop record. Oh, my God! Oh, <laughs> my God. I mean, talk about resilience. I was like, yes. it was horrific. It was horrific. And oh, I sort of, and I, I and yeah, knew it was my fault. And I just, I just styled it out. I just styled it out. While Ings died, it was honestly, it was one of my worst moments, but it was fine. And yeah. we carried on and nobody ever really knew. And we got loads more brilliant footage and the film was really good and it was fine. But I felt very, very alone at that moment when I realised I had stopped recording. Well, I think it's interesting. I love that story because it's like, you know, what's the, when someone says, what's the worst that could ever happen? That would be it. But it's like, it happened. And you just, things work themselves out. You just got to just, it did. Yeah, yeah. It did. And you know what? Like, you know, in, 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 it's a bit of a theme this, but every time you like, you move on to the next level with your career, like you confidently have to say, I can do this while you know you can't really. Yeah. Because yeah. if you just keep on saying all the time, I can't, then you won't ever going to take that next step. But it does mean that you will be in a meeting with somebody Googling literally what they're saying. Exactly. Trying to try and figure out what they're talking about. Like, oh, shit, I've got, I've got to style this one out. Like, yeah, I know all about accounting systems. Um, oh, I definitely know how to film things. Um, so I'm not saying that everybody should go around being a massive bullshitter. But, you know, there's always going to be a gap in your experience. And there's always got to be a point where you step up and go, I, I can do it, while thinking, I'm not quite sure I can, actually. Exactly. And I think what I've realised as well is, like, a lot of people, especially, like, in senior positions, a lot of them don't really know. Like, nobody knows everything. But we kind of put people, I guess, on this pedestal and think, oh, you know, if they've got this big title, they must know everything. And yeah. I've seen so many leaders who actually say, you know, I have no clue about this. I yeah. don't know about this. And I yeah. think that's refreshing to hear that honestly yeah. from you as well, to know, actually, we don't know everything, but just find out and learn along the, yeah. Learn, along yeah. the way. Yeah, and, and also, you know, as a woman, like, we will really agonise about that. A, a man would probably think, well, I'd never had to say that, I like, I knew I could do it. I just didn't have to say that I couldn't quite do it at that point, you know. Exactly that. That's exactly, sort of, yeah. like, their difference of approach to, to the way we do it. Um, and I think that you've got to, yeah, just style it out. But, like, maybe the world is, is more geared up for that than it was kind of 10, 15 years ago. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely think people are more willing to sort of take risks and, and try yeah. things out. Okay, yeah. that wasn't really a quick fire, but we'll do the same. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, but we always, we always, we always, we really always chat. Okay, I'll try and do a really quick one. <laughs> Shit. I love, no, but I love that story. It was, it's really important <laughs> that we heard that. Oh, this is what I want to know, but this might not be quick, actually, so don't worry. And it kind of goes along the, the, the theme. I yeah. want to know, like, if you mess up big time, so this could be at work or, or even, like, in personal who is the first person you would call and why? Ooh. Like if you've made a major like F up, like at, maybe at work. So say like now, CEO, Empress Films, you fucked up. Who would you call? 
to get you out. I would call my mate Mark Roberts probably, who is another person in my career, like Louis, who gave me, who saw the light in me. People just, I think that's what it is. It's like they see the light in you. And he was my boss and he actually put me forward for my first job in documentary before I even got to Louis. And that was when I went and lived on a trailer park in West Virginia. Oh, my God, in January (laughs) on my own. And and the BBC didn't give me a mobile phone or a laptop because that wasn't the days when you had a laptop. I'm basically showing how fucking old I am. I'm so sorry. What did you do? Oh, my God. I can't just imagine that. Oh, my God. It was like, like, I stayed in like... Like we had a trailer, but then for a bit of it, because it was like so cold, I lived in the local motel. Um, and I was terrified for weeks. There were like oh, wild dogs roaming around and bears and like really scary oh, people in in Utah. Like they all knew that there was this woman from England who was on her own there. Anyway, cut to six weeks later, I was staying in all their houses. I made friends <laughs> for life. I absolutely loved it yeah they all fed to me so much that when I got back I was like two sizes heavier but it was fine they just kept on feeding me but I was very loved in that place but anyway so I would call Mark Roberts who's one of those people who's known me for a long time he's a little bit older than me not much and he's really calm and he will go through he will basically do a risk what is it is it a risk analysis what is it that thing risk assessment or something risk assessment whatever that is And you always make me feel that everything's going to be okay. Oh, we That's who I would friend. We all we need all a mark. We really do. It sounds fab. I guess the yeah. last question I have for you is, um, what is coming up next for um, Empress Films and for yourself? What can we expect? Um, well, You've done so much already. So I'm like, okay, the second, the second <laughs> half of the year, what have you got coming up? <laughs> um, so I've got a film that, because I, I haven't directed in uh, quite some time. And so I, as I said at the beginning, I've got a film that is coming out in the new year, which I'm really proud of and has taken me three years and was a labour of love. And I, again, you know, I didn't pay myself for a long time and I, you know, took out credit card loan. Wow. <laughs> I'm telling you too much. Entrep- no, literally, entrep- entrepreneur war stories. I've done that. Oh, We've all taken God, things then. on credit cards and that's just... It's uh, still yeah. not paid off though. But anyway, it will it be will. At, at some point. Yeah. So I'm really, you know... So for me to be a director again on on like a big platform, I'm really excited about that. And the company is just growing. And I have a company where I've got really great people and I can just nurture talent. And that's one of the reasons why I did what I did by setting up Empress. Um, And there's loads of brilliant stories to tell. And the world is in step with documentary at the moment. Like people, people want to hear what we've got to say. And I'm moving more into fiction, you know, I'm kind of, I'm working on a feature film and it's all stuff that I, it sounds like, it sounds like I'm a megalomaniac, but it's all stuff that just I want to do. And I'm not being told to be interested in something that I am not interested in. And then weirdly, because you're interested in it, the buyers, the people around you are like infected with the fact that you're already interested in this. And then you've got a better chance of kind of like making it. So it's exciting times and it's been, you know, it's been a hard time for everybody uh, and you just got to keep going, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see your day, your day. Is it it your debut? Like you said, it's, it's the first time you directed well, I directed, I directed before, but that was TV. Okay, and I suppose so this is more seen as like a film. Oh, it's wow. like long form. It's like, yeah. a, I can't say what it is, which is annoying. Okay. I'd love to. Yeah. But when I have a screening, obviously you're coming. Thank um, you. And that'll be in the new year. And I'm really, and you know, and it's been a real labour of love. Like I gave up a lot to make that film. And for quite, for a year it was me and the there's a there's a there's a person that works for me called Eloise and she was my assistant and she'd never worked out of university before and I took a punt on her and now she's like she's been with me for four years and she is so amazing. Like yeah. young people are just so amazing. Like she can edit. Like what? Yeah. Like and we sat in a cafe called the Alma Cafe which is in Heels, you know, on Tottenham Court Road, because we oh, didn't yeah. have an office. Oh, and we yes. used to, 
sitting there making this film on her laptop for about a year, just like eking out a couple of cups of tea uh, in the Alma Cafe. So, you know, it's been a real labour of love, that film. So I'm really, I'm really excited about that. Oh, I'm going to be behind you. So once, once I, thank once you, darling. information, we'll definitely be like supporting and yeah. I'm sure all that hard work, thank you. all that sacrifice, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. I hope so. I hope so. Thank oh, you. It's been amazing to catch up. Oh, babe. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Wow, that episode was just absolutely incredible. There was just so many light bulb moments. And as part of this series, after each episode, I'm going to have a download with my (laughs) producer, Ryan. Hello, (laughs) it's me. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that you are going to experience this download with me. Oh, listen. Yeah. It is such a privilege, honestly. Like your conversation with Emma was just absolutely epic. It just makes me want to do everything that's in my mind. All the ideas, take the risks, you know, trust yourself, believe in yourself, but also know that you've got the grit and the resilience because she's been through a lot. Mm. She's come up with just this amazing perspective and she's just doing it, man. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so inspirational. She She is. And she's so honest and like vulnerable and Mm. when she was saying like when she was in 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 meetings for example and she might not know what a term means and she'll just google it or she's figuring out payroll and tax and (laughs) she's just like humanizing entrepreneurship you know Mm. people sometimes think oh to be an entrepreneur you have to be this clever clogs or this extraordinary you know I don't know genius but you know every day people can be entrepreneurs and it was just so heartwarming to hear her being vulnerable and just sharing the same things that sort of like, you know, I've, I've experienced or so many other people have experienced that people might even be embarrassed to say like, so I just love that. I love how she just has like no filter in that, in that regard. (laughs) She's just, just herself. But that was really, yeah. So good. So good. And how, how she was quite, strategic in her career without really even knowing like I just love the thought of oh yeah that sounds like it would be a a good idea yeah I should join a company for four years to really understand the business side because yeah that would be helpful let me go and do that Mm -hmm. I just love that whole very short feedback loop on making a decision before you actually go and do it and she done it and that's all led to her coming from being an assistant producer to being a Mm -hmm. filmmaker to being a CEO of, of a really renowned production company it's amazing and it's like her portfolio is just absolutely just wild like netflix bbc like mm. Louis her is, is yeah like she's just so humble like it's just like it's it's so crazy but so nice like she's so approachable you know when i think of tv exec like she's had like 10 years as a commissioner or 10 plus years as a commissioner at channel 4 mm. when you think about it it's like oh my god like this person controls like what's on TV. Yeah, for but real. But she's just so chill and she's so approachable. And and that was just really like nice to see mm. um, that there's people like in these really influential positions who are just super cool. And, you know, we got to give the listeners like a, a window to that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That was, that was good. So I know you personally got something from this episode. Obviously right now we're recording the the download sometime yes. after we recorded. So, so what happened there? <laughs> I mean, crazy, you know, crazy enough. So like I have run my business as a side hustle pretty much for like the past five years. And I kind of did a really brief stint kind of doing it full time and I was in between jobs, but I've never really given it the proper go. And now having the chance to speak to Emma in particular, I was at a crossroads basically Mm. where I had to make a choice about my peace of mind and where I wanted to go. And I've just decided to do my business girls talk london full time like proper 100 full time and it was really great to hear emma's journey and how look you don't have everything figured out but mm. i'm going on that same journey that she's on like right now so yeah. it's kind of cool yeah and so how, how fitting is that that this is episode so one fitting. i know new podcast new journey new beginnings. and you're literally yeah. like you know what i'm gonna match my life to this energy <laughs> exactly it's it's very scary I'm like oh my gosh like but you know I'm I I feel you know just like 
refreshed even just hearing from her, like how you just have to take one day at a time. And, you know, when you've got challenges, it's about how you problem solve. I think she's a really great problem solver. Mm. And I even had like, you know, when I was trying to, because I didn't necessarily plan to go into full-time entrepreneurship. I might even share that in another episode, but yeah. it was a whole backstory, which you obviously <laughs> know, to how I became like full-time entrepreneur. But it's like, I've even had to kind of just figure out like a lot of um, last minute paperwork and and things that have kind of gone wrong or, mis- or things I didn't realize, but I kind of just hear Emma in the back of my head, like, it's okay, it's fine. There's a way to figure it out. Mm. She seems, she's very much that kind of person. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very fitting. Where I think the main takeaway is really around that. There's, there's this quote, I think that um, Richard Branson says, but like he says yes to something and then figures it out later. That is mm. Emma in a nutshell. Yeah, like real. when here in her career, literally she'll be like, yeah, I can do this and she'll figure it out later. So for me, where I am in my journey. As well. Like, it's a guts, but, the, but, the, but where I am in this journey is I just said yes to being a full-time entrepreneur and I'm going to figure it out. You, you I'm going to figure it out like Emma. She literally, she has a lot of guts. She'll say yes and do the workings out later. And I just love that. Yeah, man. Let's let's all take that, that energy into, into this week. <laughs> say yes and figure it out later. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this episode and for joining me for After Work Drinks. If you learned anything from this episode, please do share with someone you think would benefit. Don't forget to leave me a comment with what you learned along with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like yourself find the show. Follow us on Instagram on at After Work Drinks Club. A special thank you goes to Blue Water and to Pure Creation Media for producing this episode. Mm-hmm.